Have you ever wondered whether you'd be able to sustain a new habit over a long period of time? Have you ever felt an initial peak of optimism give way to a valley of despair? Join us as we discuss why this happens to some people, how this relates to a concept called psychological flexibility, and how to stay grounded during challenging times. I'm Rashad Bader, along with Dr. Kevin Majors, and this is The Golden Hour. Welcome to another episode of The Golden Hour. This is Rashad Bader here with Dr. Kevin Majors. Kevin, it's good to be here with you again. Hey, Rashad. Good to be here. Wonderful. So to get started, Kevin, I wanted to read a question from one of the newer members of our team. And uh, he asks, I have been thinking about the level of energy it takes to consistently apply the optimal work framework over the course of the first several weeks, especially weeks three to four, and how to sustain the numerous new habits that are formed after the initial excitement wears off. I have heard people talk about the concept of the, and he quotes, valley of despair within the context of change management and habit formation. I'd be curious what the optimal work take on this would be. And so he shares an image here of the emotional cycle of change. It's obviously, if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple, you can't see it, but Kevin, you've seen it. So Kevin, I'll turn it over to you. What is your reaction to this comment and question? Well, I, I like the, I like the question a lot, uh, cause it gets to the experience that many people have, you know, that maybe at first things are easy to do. And when they have a new habit, they're excited about it. And, and that enthusiasm carries them a lot. So if you just imagine the, the momentum you get from being enthused about some new way of living, uh, and then it can, it can happen in some people that, that difficulties start to come. As it's almost like the inner resistance within us maybe reasserts itself, and and then you can go through something that's tougher. I think that for some people there's no value of despair. Uh, for some people, it's with one or two items, and then the timing of when it comes, yeah, that, that I think varies from 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 person to person. But the general idea that things can sometimes get a little harder before then they get easier and more solidified. Is just an experience that many people have. Interestingly, not everyone has it. So that's a curious question. Like, why doesn't everyone have have that response? Yeah, and even in the responses that we see, you know, to like the masterclass and other things in optimal work, that in many cases, in fact, in general, uh, what you see is a continual rise in like we measure the inventory week by week. And there, there's actually no value of despair that shows at all. You know, instead, it is a steady progress up, 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 you know, and it tends to then stay up, you know, as long as conditions in life don't change. And then, you know, people have a baby and people have other things and it, there can be a dip as you're going to experience very shortly. So, and so I think that, uh, but it is something to, to be, to be looking into because it's out there enough as an idea. So that's my, that'd be my, 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 my first take on it. Now, do you have, a title or an explanation for the variation between those that do have a dip and say those who don't? Is there something in the literature that you could point to and say, this is what we think is happening with those individuals that do have a little bit of that hiccup? There's, there's nothing that I've seen, but we can theorize about it a bit. 
you know, and I think that the more the word would be flexible people are, the less of a value of despair they have. And flexibility here is the core concept of acceptance and commitment therapy. So, which is the kind of therapy that I think is the, you know, the most easily applicable form of cognitive behavioral therapy to many things, including work. So it's very, I, I like the ideas and acceptance and commitment therapy a great deal. So in that, there's this idea of what, of being flexible. And that, that and that what it first means is being grounded, that you're grounded in who you are in the sense of you're able to be the observer of yourself. So you're, you experience your emotions as emotions without getting submerged in the stream of them. And you experience your thoughts as thoughts. So these experiences can come and go in a kind of flux that is continued, that passes by you. And you understand that that flux is impermanent, you know, uh, but you being able to observe it here and now in the present moment, that's what lasts. So you're really grounded in the present moment and being the observer of yourself and being able to, I guess you could say, you know, be mindful of yourself. So those, those core, those are like, I think the, really the core of it. But then with regard to emotions, you are accepting of what comes and goes. Understanding that those emotions are impermanent. Discomfort is impermanent. Frustration is impermanent. And the more you are not reactive to it in a negative way, but accepting of it, the easier it is for them to come and go. Also that with thoughts, there's a very interesting concept of you don't get easily fused with thoughts. Like, I don't know, you might have the thought, um, this is too hard. If you fuse with that thought, it's going to suddenly feel hard and be hard. Because it's like that thought just, it's like a pair of glasses that was kind of hovering around you. The thought is too hard, but then you fuse with it. Now you see the world through that lens. So cognitive fusion and emotional avoidance are the two biggest drivers of inflexibility that people have. And then you could also say on the positive side, even, you know, so you have like the flux, you know, of emotions and thoughts, and then you have the present moment where you're grounded. Regarding the future, the two things that make up flexibility are having clear ideals and the ability to make strategic goals. And so th those are really important. You have ideals and goals, and those are not the same thing. You know, goals are things you can attain. They're, they, you can, you can check them off when they're done. Ideals you can never attain, but they're always more and more motivating as you do them. So that's the constellation of psychological flexibility. You know, and so with that in mind, I would think that the more people can experience whatever the discomfort or inner resistance that emerges might be as you try to do a new habit, expect it and welcome it and just let it be whatever it is, a discomfort, an emotion, it comes and goes. It doesn't have to change your behaviors. Behaviors should be guided by ideals and established by strategic goals. I'm at my guess. That would be, I think, the most robust answer of why some people find it easier and some people find it more challenging to take on new habits. Well, that's a, it's a very powerful response because one of the first things that you said was being grounded. And so we can talk about being grounded in the present and in the future, as you had mentioned, being grounded in the present is sort of a, a function of the mindfulness that, that we talk about. 
And when we go to, when we look in the mindfulness sphere, as we describe it, oftentimes we talk about sort of attentional cravings that we may have. And we talk about that sort of craving curve increasing, but if we patiently sit with it, it will run its course. And then from there, we habituate ourselves to that and it goes away. Although I do remember with certain sorts of cravings, right, because it's perhaps part of a a dopamine system, there may be a time where it flares, right? It flares up and it could be that dopamine system seeking reinforcement. Is Is that a fair observation or connection to make between what we typically talk about in terms of mindfulness and, and what you just mentioned there? I Yeah, that's that's a very good point. That, And I hadn't thought of it from that perspective, but I think that you do see this thing where with cravings, there is a kind of something called a periodicity. So, which is that if the craving, if you typically give into the craving once a week, and then you go without it for a week, you know, then in another week, it's going to come back perhaps stronger. Yeah, and there's going to be a kind of just, there's going to be a rush of cravings that will, that will happen then. But if you get through that, it goes quiet again and until another week, you know, and then it might come back, but the next uh, flurry of cravings would be less. And then in another week, the flurry would be less. And then you'd probably lose periodicity at some point. And it'd just be haphazard or only when you're under stress. So it could be also that if there are certain types of behaviors that were given into periodically and that somehow coming up with all these good new habits, you know, was counter to those, uh, then yeah, it could be that those are reasserting themselves as well. You know, and, and so that's, that's an interesting hypothesis. Is that, is that, is that like a clear enough, uh, or I, hope, I don't know if I'm getting, if I was too no, technical. That's, I think that was very helpful. And I think that if in fact, since we are just hypothesizing here, that's what's happening, then that sort of attentional pull, those cravings, maybe that tendency, that internal resistance isn't even necessarily something to dread, right? It could be a sign that you're on the right path. That in fact, that if you simply sit with this discomfort, you can, again, habituate yourself to this. Is that also a fair statement? I I would think that's exactly right. So that, in fact, we should see that it's the reframing of the discomfort as progress that's always the key to shaping new habits. You want to get to the point where when you're you know, for, forging a new habit and there's some kind of resistance that you feel inside, you want to get to the point where you're like, exactly, bring it on. This is you know, not, not that you're going to be giving in, of course, and resisting. It just means that that means that a deeper level of change is taking place. Almost like part of you is realizing these changes are going to be permanent. They are going to stick around. And then there's a kind of uh, counter assault that you that you experience within yourself as you start to see oh i'm not going to be able to lay in bed all morning or you know whatever it might be you know uh start the day with donuts or uh not that we've ever spoken directly against that at optimal work but you know um but you know you you think of uh the the good habits that you you, you do try building 
and yes, so it could it could happen that you start to see, okay, once it settles in that this is going to be a lasting change, part of us then there's a mourning almost for a kind of lost sense of freedom that that we had with regard to this in the past. New habits at first can feel constraining. Ultimately, they feel freeing because the benefit of these new of forming good new habits, say with exercise, you know, it's it's that you actually are now free to exercise without the reluctance and pain. And you just get more and more of the benefits as time goes on. So there are, you, you need time for virtuous cycles to pay off you know, and to really start reaping the rewards of them. I remember people saying when they're dealing with, uh, say, heroin addicts, that your so it takes about a month being completely off heroin where your best day off the drug is better than your worst day on the drug. So, so it can be that there's this, this transition period. But even, you know, given that, it gets better and better and better after that. You know, and the more they can reframe those cravings for the old drug and the old way of life as just part of the sign of progress, and they're not dangerous, they're not even strictly painful, but they are deeply uncomfortable. The easier it is for them to welcome those cravings, which is how you are flexible with regard to them. You know, be ready that they're going to have thoughts about relapsing and just be patient with those thoughts. Don't fuse with them because then you'll be more likely to act on them. So you experience the thoughts, you experience the feelings, but you stay committed to your ideals, you know, with step-by-step goals for how you're going to live each day. So again, psychological flexibility is how we work people through even the, the most painful addictions. And if it works in those cases, it works in the smaller things too, like, you know, whatever the, uh, like sleeping in or the, you know, or giving up social media while you're working or, or something, exactly. something of that nature. Yep. Or ending right. your days on time or whatever it might be. Got it. One of the things, you know, I, I was having a conversation earlier today, um, with a school that wants to bring optimal work uh, in to train the faculty and staff. And the head of school asked me, well, this is really powerful. And so like the golden hour, it all just makes sense. And that would help you get into flow. And so we've spoken about flow in the past. And I said, yes, but I added a little caveat. And I said, because at the beginning, it may actually be a little bit uncomfortable. I don't think we want to promise people flow instantaneously upon a golden hour. Sometimes it may be a little uncomfortable not giving into the cravings of checking social media or checking your phone or checking your email. And so that may not necessarily give an immediate sense of flow. And we don't want that to be a discouragement and an indication of failure, but rather that there is in fact a little bit of a, a sort of journey one has to go on before you could truly enjoy the freedom that comes with a golden hour. Would that be a similar uh, comparison to make? Yeah, that is. And it's another case where it does only get more and more powerful over time. Yeah, and, and so the more you stick with the practice of a golden hour, doing at least one time a day, where you really shape what you're about to do, reframing it as an opportunity to grow, being totally grounded in the present moment and in that task, and then really committed to challenging yourself according to some ideal you know, during that hour with concrete steps. That actually contains, the golden hour contains all of acceptance and commitment therapy in a nutshell. 
it, it contains all of psychological flexibility. And it is then the kind of method that we, we teach for any kind of growth because it's just, it's a summary of it all, you know, but in a, in just the snapshot or one hour. So, which is a, a very doable piece. But if you repeat it again and again, I think it just gets people used to this normal rhythm, you know, of striving even in the face of some discomfort while being mindful of that discomfort, but staying with the steps. And I think that's how we train people in psychological flexibility. So I think the number one thing you can do to grow in psychological flexibility is a good golden hour. You know, and, and to learn how to how to shape yourself in the next hour of your life. Because that's really the only thing we can shape. That ultimately is like what's coming up right now. That's what we shape. And so that's the training and how to do it. And then with the golden hour, you get this awesome benefit of attaining flow more and more easily. But there might be a lag. So it's true. We never want to overpromise because you never know in a given person how long would that lag be. But I've never met someone who doesn't eventually get it. You know, I think that uh, everyone does as they, you know, it's just with some, it may take a little more time. There's a lot of hope in that. Let me ask you a question that is adjacent to this value of despair. So as we're talking about the value of a golden hour and the merits of it, I think if someone is experiencing the value of despair or they're likely to think that they're going to go through it, there may be also a high correlation with them feeling overwhelmed, right? And so this idea you mentioned earlier of having the lenses out kind of close to you and then fusing with this sort of sensation about being overwhelmed and then seeing the world through those lenses. Let's say someone is finding themselves in this moment okay, I feel overwhelmed. I feel too overwhelmed to even do a golden hour. How does one diffuse from that? How do you, how do you create a little bit of space from that emotion? The simplest way is that you go into the situation looking forward for that feeling to come. Yeah, and sometimes I call that pre-framing, but you're already waiting for it to show up, knowing that if you yesterday felt overwhelmed at some point, likely it's going to show up again today. Well, how, when that experience comes to you, how do you welcome it? Are you cold and harsh and rejecting towards it and then frustrated with it showing up? You know, it's, or can you be patient with it? Can you be, in a sense, kind? It's a strange thing, but these negative things that emerge from the flux of our experience and that we somehow um, have a neg- we have a bad response to, uh, that dynamic is precisely where the deepest progress occurs. Learning to handle the kind of creatures of the flux, you know, that come out of our experience of feeling overwhelmed, feeling, uh, uh, or the reemergence in our heart of a grudge or some kind of complaint or, okay, the question is, how do you respond when this experience reemerges? Yeah. And, this is maybe a completely uh, technical way of saying something, but I'm just going to say it. Uh, the problem is sensitizing reactivity. We have a way of reacting to experiences that actually sensitizes us to experience them more and to actually amplify them in the future. So the problem isn't feeling overwhelmed. The problem is being oversensitized 
to that experience so that it then becomes hard to function. You know, and, and so you, but that, you know, the kind of sense of paralysis or fight or flight, the kind of threat mode that we can go into when we feel overwhelmed, that we have to see is kind of part of our whole response to first detecting that. So what we want to do is model instead within ourselves a new way of responding so that when the discomfort of change or being overwhelmed with even trying new good habits, and that's overwhelming, we want to be treating it as you would treat a person you love. This is a very strange idea for many people. But when you think about the people you love most in life and how you want to be treating them, what would you want them to say about how you treat them? Usually it's words like being loving, kind, caring, patient, understanding. And yes, those are gold mines, each of them. But interestingly, it may be that the most frequent chance to practice is inside of yourself. When you have negative emotions and thoughts, whatever the label might be, instead of responding in a frustrated, harsh way, trying to make it go away quickly, trying to fix it, why don't you rather just greet it warmly and say, okay, great, there you are. Welcome back. Now, that doesn't make it go away. It, It changes your inner response and that changes all the downstream effects that has within your whole psychophysiology. So you don't go into threat mode as much. You, know, so you welcome things that are negative and, and that desensitizes your reactivity. So if this kind of being, uh, having a reactivity that's sensitizing you to be more reactive in the future is the heart of all, like is how you create vicious cycles, this desensitizing it by welcoming things, that's the heart of acceptance really in a way. Uh, rightly understood, that actually is how you undo these vicious cycles and start to slip out of them. And what happens is the negative experiences, like the thought, I am overwhelmed, the feelings that go with it, it might be a sense of heaviness, a physical sensation. It could be despair as an emotion where you just feel like you have to give up. Uh, uh, it might be anger, anxiety, sad, whatever it might be. All of those things, the more you practice welcoming them, the more they return to the flux and you realize that those aren't permanent. The feeling of being overwhelmed can come and go in less than 90 seconds. It, it's not a fact. It's not your new life. <laughs> it's not the new way of being. It just comes and goes. It's, it's a topic that elicits a response amongst our potential partners. One of the things that I hear oftentimes is, well, we don't want to overwhelm our it's employees, teachers, whomever. And I thought I always thought that was an interesting expression because what may overwhelm one person would not overwhelm another and vice versa. And so what part of this is dispositional, right? What part of this is our disposition towards this label of being overwhelmed? And so what, what you said really helps make a lot of sense of that. If someone is sitting there and they've, you know, heard earlier in the podcast and said, yep, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. Would you also be able to look at it a slightly different way and say, it's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy? How, how would you look at it in that light? Yeah. So in one sense, if people have 
a step in front of them that is simply too big. You know, that they don't know, like, you know, it, it can be that they simply haven't broken down whatever the challenge is in front of them. So we have a guided session on optimal work called the tranquility of order. Uh, and it's also in the masterclass. Uh, that is one of the best practices there in the masterclass videos. So, but essentially what you do there is it's a, it's a matter of one, prioritizing all the things that you're facing right now and just listing them out and then choosing the top priority and breaking that down into steps. What are all the steps involved and make the first step especially small or the first several steps especially small. It's remarkable how people don't feel overwhelmed after doing that because we get all these feedback and comments. So I think sometimes they, because the thought of whatever the task perhaps is overwhelming them seems like it's too big to get started and then it just keeps looming over them. Well, that's a real issue. That's a skill. The skill that they need to improve in is breaking, putting priority, you know, basically making a number one priority clear. And then two, the skill of breaking things down into steps. But those skills are completely winnable and the best time to be growing in them is when you feel overwhelmed. That's precisely when you get good at prioritizing and then breaking things down. Uh, so I would say it's still an opportunity that should be welcomed. Now, I don't worry too much about overwhelming people with growth if it is step by step and they don't feel like, I just don't know what to do next. Or this is too much. Like, what is it? What, what would that mean? This is too much. It would just mean I don't know what to choose. So I think you need a path that can help us, you know, lay things out for people step by step. So they don't get the sense of like, where do I go next? What do I do? How do I prioritize? Those are the hidden things. But again, usually it's coming down to establishing a priority number, priority number one and then breaking that down into small steps. Wonderful. Well, we covered a lot today, Kevin. Is there anything that you want to wrap up with before we completely end? No, I think, um, you know, the, uh, there, there's a saying, saying of Aquinas that kind of sums up a lot of the things I've mentioned today. And that is that for all difficulties within us, there's patience. And for all difficulties outside of us, there's love. But those are the two guiding ideals. You know, and so I still think that probably the most important element of psychological flexibility, you know, is in fact just having these clear ideals, you know, that, uh, in, in life, what changes in us as we grow is not the creatures that might inhabit the flux and pass through our experience, pass through our mind or emotional reactions we have momentarily. What changes gradually is the patience with which we meet those things. And then that it doesn't take us off the course of love. That even in those moments, we're loving, we're cheerful, we're supportive, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of grounded in ourselves so that we really are always giving our best that we can, you know, shaped by these ideals. So that would be the, the final thought I would leave with. Perfect. All right. We'll be back next week. Thank you so much, Kevin. All right. Thank you, Rashad. Well, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to check out OptumWork.com for a set of online tools to help you engage challenge in your life. See you next week.